of our three-part series in the book of Haggai. Um, if you haven't been with us so far, let me give you a little bit of a, uh, an up-to-speed. And, and let's be honest, for the rest of us, let's do a little bit of an up-to-speed anyway, because it can be a bit hard, you know, even, even just the last two weeks. Um, uh, the book of Haggai, short little prophecy toward the end of the Old Testament, uh, it deals with a series of prophecies brought by the, pe- by the prophet Haggai, Uh, to the people of God, to Israel, in the year 520 BC. God's people would return from exile, uh, but after significant discouragement from the people who were in the land when they got back, they'd stopped the work of rebuilding the temple. uh, And had sat there for for about 15 years not being rebuilt. Uh, And if you've been with us, you'll recall that's a really big problem for them. The temple is not just a, a dusty old building The temple was the symbol of God's glorious presence with them. In fact, it was how Israel practiced the presence of God with them was through the temple. And the temple was not just the presence of God with them. The temple was also the method for them to draw near to God through the sacrificial system practiced in that temple. And without the temple, they were separated then from God's blessings and from God's presence in the way that they were meant to experience it. And Haggai brought this powerful message to a people discouraged, to a people who said it's not time to build yet. Uh, He brought the message, build with hope. Build even if every worldly power is against you. Even if it seems that you will never succeed, be faithful to God's call to build and trust that he will be faithful to provide what is needed. And of course, we've seen throughout the last two weeks, from Matt last week, myself the week before, that this is a message that applies to us, albeit in a more full way on our side of the cross of Jesus. Christ is our new temple, the New Testament boldly claims. The cornerstone, indeed, of God's temple. And he is building a temple in his people today as they faithfully carry out the message of the gospel. This is why the New Testament again and again and again makes the claim that Jesus is the cornerstone and upon him a new temple is being built. Not from stones and mortar, but built with living stones. The kingdom of God expressed in the people of God, the church today. I realize that there might be just a couple of people among us who who hear that and go, Yeah, but, you know, end time, temple, whatever, show me the references, John. Come to me afterwards. I have a list. It's long. I'm not going to do it now. Uh, But that's what the, this is what the Old Testament temple looked forward to its completion in. The church built on Christ the cornerstone. A place where people enter the presence of God and where people's sins are dealt with by the blood of Jesus pictured in the old temple. So we build the temple today with hope, not by laying stones and mortar, do you see, but by carrying the message of Jesus into our lives, into the lives of one another, and into the world around us. And and that's how we build. We call in and we build up the living stones of God's true temple. And of course, this isn't just a call to work at it and hope for the best. Hopefully, it'll pan out 
as, as Matt reminded us last week, there is a day coming when God will shake the heavens and the earth. Jesus is coming back to establish a perfect kingdom for the consummation of what was inaugurated, what was uh, set and started when he came, died, rose and ascended. He is coming as our hope to bring in a new heavens and a new earth. And so we build today knowing that our hope is coming. We build a kingdom which we know will be completed on that day. We build with hope. And thank God for the example that we have in Haggai's generation. Because uh, they did build. They got to it. The people got to work. As Matt mentioned last week, construction by this point is underway. Now we're about... We're about three months out from Haggai's first prophecy when nothing had happened and when the people were discouraged and not doing a thing. Sorry, four months. About four months later, uh, after Haggai's first prophecy, he brings these two more prophetic messages, which we're going to deal with as one chunk. They all come on the same day of the same month, delivered to in the same context, and they, they are to be seen as a single unit. Um, and it's the day that the foundation stone is completed. Uh, this, this is where we're up to in the building of the temple. The, the foundation stone has been laid. And here's the message of this whole passage, if you want to boil it down to one slightly long sentence. To live in obedience in the present requires that we are always looking back with confidence to foundation day and forward with hope to consummation day. If you don't get what that means, it's okay. We've got a whole sermon to dig into that. Uh, and hopefully you will see by the end. So the opening of this prophecy is, is I don't know. You, if, if you have, by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, please grab one. There's a pile on the chair over there. But um, the opening of this prophecy is a little bit foreign to us, I think. Um, it's, it, it, God sends Haggai to quiz a priest. Um, as, a, as a prophetic word. And, and the quiz goes something like this. He says to the priest, hey priest, if someone gets a, a holy piece of meat and they kind of pop it in their cloak and then, and then they, they touch a stew or any other food, does the, does the stew become holy? And the priest goes, no. Uh, a little bit confused, understandably, I imagine. And, and then he goes, well, so if someone gets... Uh, something, or, so if someone is unclean through contact with with the dead body, or through contact with something that is unholy, unclean, and and they come into contact with something else, does that thing become unclean? And the priest goes, "Yeah, yeah, it does." Um, now the priest isn't making this up as he goes along. Uh, what's happening here is a throwback to the law, especially to the book of Leviticus. Uh, which laid out these guidelines of how this worked, that, that, that holiness didn't spread in that way, but uncleanness did. Here's the point. The norm in this world is for sinful brokenness, sin and impurity to spread. They are contagious. Separation from God increase, increases like a contagious disease, and holiness doesn't. That's the norm. For them at the time, 
this was a reminder of the predicament of being templeless, right? Because what was their one way to deal with uncleanness? Their one way to push back the tide of the contagious disease? The temple was where the people were able to have connection with the presence of God, right? Uh, although uh, indirectly, they didn't come straight on in there, but uh, it was also where they were able to deal with their impurity, with their sin. Uh, if sin is the infection, the temple was the antibiotics, and they didn't have any antibiotics. And so they were in a bit of trouble, you see. A lot of trouble. So it spread like a plague. And then these following reverse verses, they remind the people that because they were separated, because they were in this state of un, unstopped contagiousness of their uncleanness and their sin, uh, because of that, they uh, were living under the curses that had been foreseen earlier in the Old Testament. They were living under... Uh, separated from the blessing of God and indeed under the cursing of God. Uh, we get those curses in, in Deuteronomy uh, and what, what's foreseen there is lived out by the people in Haggai's day as they are poor, hungry, cold. But then, then this prophecy that's been a little bit sobering so far takes this astounding change of direction. Because what w might we expect at this point? You know, I, we've, we've read it out, we've looked at it, some of us even have children's books on it. But what might we expect on the basis of all of this? Knowing that sin and uncleanness spread contagiously, pestilently, knowing that the result of that is that they live under the curse of the law, and knowing that the temple is still years from completion, what do we expect? And, and it was, it was years from completion. We, we find out in Ezra 6 that, it, that it's about five years after this that they finished with it. Um, probably that nothing's going to change, right? At this point, they have a rock. They don't have a sacrificial system. They don't have any of that. They've got, they've got the foundation stone. But what God says kind of breaks our categories for what we expect him to do, what we expect him to be able to do. Here's what he says. He says, consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, so that very day, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, no temple, just foundation, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. This is one of those moments where we have to repress the urge to look at the Old Testament and somehow think that it's a different God to the New Testament, because suddenly we see that he is just the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He is always abundantly gracious with his people, without them deserving it. I, I love what um, one of the commentators, Michael Stead, has to say about this. Um, do I have my clicker? Could you take me to the next slide? Thank you. He says, their prosperity is not because a completed temple has led to an outpouring of God's divine favour or because a completed temple has made their offerings acceptable to God, they are from that day onward beginning to experience God's divine favour, His blessing, as a result of His unmerited mercy. What they're experiencing here is what we might call foundation. 
the founding stone of the temple has been laid, yet from this day on, they have a day to look back to and know with certainty that he is going to bless us, that he loves us and he is set on blessing us. A day when they can say, that is the day that we were given the unmerited favor of God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't expect it. We just gave, uh, sorry, he just gave and still now he gives. So we know that he loves us. Not just that, this was what was to carry them on in obediently continuing the work, right? The temple could take another, was going to take another five years, remember, to be finished. And even after that, the call to obedience continued, right? But they could go on building with confidence because of Foundation Day, because they could look back to this day, because there is a concrete day in history that they could look to and know that God is with us, His favour is upon us, and it won't be removed. Indeed, they could look at the founding stone of the temple as a reminder of that day. And Church GC is actually the same story for us, but greater. We have a day that we look back to. We have a, a foundation day. This isn't just John drawing a, a funny line here, by the way. This is an intentional thing in the Bible. We, we have a day that we look back to. The day that that foundation day looked forward to. The day when the cornerstone of the new temple was laid and we received the guarantee of God's favour. The day that Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus said of himself, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Because he was rejected. Because he was handed over to the religious leaders, was tortured and died. Because he carried all of the punishment for your sin and my sin, we can be certain that God's will is to bless us. To sustain us to bless the work he has called us into. Here's what Paul writes over in Romans chapter 8. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Hear me right here. This is not a promise that God will give you a bumper crop this year and every following year. Sorry, farmers. I know the timing's bad. It's not a, a promise that you will have easy days at work followed by large paychecks. Now, the way of the Messiah, the New Testament is, is abundantly clear on this. The way of the Messiah is the way of his people. We will suffer in this age. We will have to go through trials that purify our faith in this age. But we can endure knowing that his love is for us. And we do receive great blessings even in the here and now. We have the very presence of God in us. Isn't that 
Isn't that odd that you can get used to that fact? We have our sins dealt with. We, have, we, are, we are brought into the family of God. We have, we have a king of the universe who hears when we talk to him and responds. We're given freely, without price from us, the joy, the peace, the security that everyone in this entire world slavishly spends their lives trying to gain without fruit. And so we can step into what God has called us to do. We can, we can build, you see. And in fact, there's one more truth that Haggai has for us before he's out uh, that cements our calling to build with hope, not just confidence, but with hope. In the final four verses, God sends a final message through Haggai to Zerubbabel. You remember this guy's come up quite a bit already. We've stumbled over his name so often, Zerubbabel. But uh, Zerubbabel is the governor at the time. But you, you also remember maybe that he's a descendant of David. He's, he's, he's the rightful heir to the Davidic throne. And this prophecy is probably where we're most likely to go, yeah, but that didn't happen, right? Like, that's, that's not how it panned out. How can that be right? Because God promises Zerubbabel that there is a day coming when he will bring down the kingdoms of the earth and establish Zerubbabel as king. Literally, he says, I will make you like a signet ring. That's, that's actually really significant for us to understand what's happening here. And it takes a little bit of digging. Come with me. Dig with me. Don't tune out for this. This is the Bible. A signet ring is, is a royal thing. It indicates the authority of the king carried by whoever has it. Or in the, in the case of a signet ring on the hand of God, it indicates a king who represents God. But if you go back, not very, very far in the Old Testament, before Zerubbabel, uh, you have his grandfather, Keniah, or Jeconiah, who was one of the rebellious kings of Judah. And there's this really gutting word that was given to Jeconiah, to Keniah, through the prophet Jeremiah. God, God said this to him. He said, as I live, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah 22. As I live, declares the Lord, Though Keniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my hand, yet I would tear it off. And he finishes the prophetic word with these words. He says, none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. And, and like, there's a terrible tension there. God had promised a perpetual throne to David and his descendants back in 2 Samuel 7. But in Jeconiah, it seems like the promise is revoked through disobedience. And we have this question, like, like is this just him and his, and his immediate children, or is this a forever thing? And then we, we, we skip forward to two generations, and we get to Zerubbabel. And the promise for Zerubbabel has to be understood in the context of his Davidic line. One day, God's going to shake down kingdom of the earth and the only king to remain on that day will be the king in the line of David the descendant of Zerubbabel this is actually a promise that looks forward to the return 
of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. Jesus, the true descendant of David and of Zerubbabel, will come back and he will reign forever and ever. And so we can go about the work that God has called us to with confidence and with hope. We're confident because we look back and we see the cross of Jesus and we know with certainty he he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him give us all things? He loves us and he is faithful to us so we can step into what he's called us to do. We can take the gospel out to our neighbours, out to our friends. We can connect with people who don't know Jesus, knowing that he will bless the work like he did for them. He will bless the work because we can look back and we can see foundation day when he set his love upon us at the cross. And we're full of certain hope. Not the hope that goes, gosh, I I hope my team will win this week. That's a very disappointing hope for me this year. No, we look forward with certainty and hope to a day when every other throne and rule will fail and Jesus will reign. He will come back to bless and to bring his people into his eternal kingdom. What we're working on here, he will complete. There'll be no more mourning or sadness or crying. There'll be no more sickness. No more falls. No more COVID. No more motorbike accidents. No more uncertainty. No more struggles against a lack of joy. We'll be with him. And our joy will be complete. first week of this series, chuck your mind back to there. We, we looked at um, some of the reasons that we might not want to step out into the kingdom building work that God's called us to. Um, we, we fear people. We fear the unknown. We fear our own insufficiency to the task. We don't believe that this is the right time for a whole bunch of reasons, just like they did. Take a second here. Genuinely ask yourself, I'm going to be quiet for five seconds after I say this. What is that reason for me? What's the thing that keeps me away from that? There are so often reasons that seem so logical for us that we go, you know, not me. I'm not, I'm not called to take the gospel out or I, or I can't do it. I know I'm called to it, but I'm just not good enough. Whatever those reasons are, you you take them and you put them next to our foundation day. And you put them next to the, the, the consummation day. You put them next to the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. And you put them next to his sure and certain return, which will complete the work. He has laid the foundation and he will finish the work. You put them next to that and you ask the question, how do they stack up? And if they don't, guys... Which, which we know they don't. Let's stop listening to those lies. 
attention. Step into what God's called us to do. Be a missionary people. Be a people who know that he's placed his word in us, what he's done to us, he wants to do through us. Faithfully step out. Make mistakes. Look like idiots. Be happy to. Because we know that he's at work and he's going to bless the work. You know, if you, if you hear this and you, and you go, great, John, but I don't have that foundation. I don't have that sure and certain hope. You know, I'd, I'd love it, but it's not mine. It can be. It, it, it's the only difference that separates a person who knows the joy and the peace and the certainty that is in Jesus and a person who doesn't is trust. And he calls you into trust today, to place yourself in him, to follow him, and to know that his cross is enough to defeat your brokenness, to defeat your sin. Why don't we, why don't we pray together? Jesus, you are so faithful and good. You are our sure cornerstone, our foundation. You are our true hope. You're coming back. Lord, I pray for anyone here in this who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you. That even in this moment, that they would be able to pray and turn and say, Jesus, I don't, I haven't known you, and I haven't trusted in you, and I've been against you, but Lord, I want to put myself on the foundation. Lord, put me on the foundation. I trust you. Even though I don't know if I can be trusted, I know that you can. I trust you. Save me. Be my hope. Lord, I pray for us. We confess, Lord, we're a, we're a we're an unimpressive mob. Not to us, Lord. We we don't deserve glory. Yet you have laid such a sure foundation. You have placed your spirit in us to work through us and to give us the hope of the day that you return. So we ask, Lord, that we would obediently step into that. I ask from myself, my brothers and my sisters, that we would be a people who build your kingdom here with hope, knowing that you are building. I pray it all in the name of Jesus.